You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 166. Subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. I'm sure we're there. If we're not, let us know. Uh, if you can, if that platform allows for you to leave a review or to give a thumbs up or a star or whatever, we would appreciate it if you did so. Uh, it really does mean a lot to us. Yep, yep. We love those stars at codingblocks.net and you can find show notes, examples, discussion more. And you can send your feedback, questions, and rants to uh, comments at codingblocks.net. Yep. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all of our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for end-to-end visibility into modern applications, and Clubhouse, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. And I am looking at gator concerns. Are those, were those all gators in that photograph? Yeah, Yeah, dude, this lake is famous for... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, listeners. We uh, I sent a picture of where I'm going mountain biking uh, this weekend, uh, which is uh, a lake notorious for having a ton of alligators. Um, please just wear a GoPro because I want to see the footage when you come back as you're running away from them. It, yeah, it uh, honest to God, it, this looks like. Do you remember Frogger? It looks yeah. like Frogger. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a scene out of like real life Frogger. Oh, and zero mountains. It's really like a sand. It's like sea level sand. If it rains, it's going to flood and we're all just going to get eaten. And the title of this, of this news clip is Gator Concerns at Lake. (laughs) Oh, let me say it. No, I'm just kidding. Is it a weird word? I guess you could call it. You think that's a weird word? No, Lake Apopka. Apopka. And the people from Apopka, they're a little strange. Strange words, <laughs> but they know that. I mean, that's not like a an everyday English word, so I I, yeah. I classify it as odd. It's like like certain places have different words, like peach tree and Roswell in Georgia. Like, how many Roswells are there in Georgia? Yeah. If you count the streets and the you know whatever, there's a million. Yeah, same down with here. Peach there's tree. a pupkas. Really? That's your peach tree? No. Oh. We do have a lot of oranges down here, though. Well, yeah, orange you're in orange state, right? I guess I haven't seen an orange tree in years. Mm. <laughs> I thought that meant the people. Oh, well, yeah, I, I am a little orange right now. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as we like to do, we like to say thanks to those who left us a review and we had some new ones. So I guess my threat from last time paid off. Uh, cause we've got some really good ones here. So I want to <clears> say thank you to, to all this. Um, that's not to say I won't also threaten again. <laughs> but but uh I do I do appreciate these. So let, let's give these a try. So uh Arcady Gamey, McPhilly C Steak, and I'm I'm not sure if this one's supposed to be Jobby H or Joby H. Um but maybe between those two I got it either way. Yeah. Hey and I have to call out on this one, like Joby it was is how I would have said it. Um yeah, apparently his wife is tired of hearing our voices. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mine too. Yeah, so yeah. I apologize. You know, uh, sorry, <laughs> Joby. Yeah. Maybe don't torture her with this. I don't know, but my, we appreciate it. My wife feels your pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, and then uh, from Audible we have Jake Tucker. 
Hey, and Jake, thanks for writing in. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, you had to do it. See, that's why. No, see, I feel like that's not fair, Alan, because the whole thing was I was threatening them with that voice if they did leave a review. And here, Jake Lee goes throughout. He takes time out of his day to leave us a review. And then what do you do to reward him? You punish him. Wait, wait. Did you read his review, though? He's uh, like, and I love the late night voices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. He's the best part, just- however, the late night DJ voices. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. See? But I, See? I didn't take that as serious, though. I, I just thought that no. was like sarcasm. No, it's here to stay, guys. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, moving right along. That's right. So for the next request, how do coming I like, from- okay, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to cut that review out then so that we don't ever talk about this again. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Gosh. Yeah, that's amazing. All right. Well, uh, okay. So this episode, you know, we were, we, we enjoyed so much with our, our microservices, uh, discussion last time that we were like, you know what, let's continue that discussion. But you know what? It turns out implementing microservices is hard and we are worn out. So, <laughs> so our brain cells were like absent and we decided let's, let's take a moment back. Let's just gather around the water cooler for a moment. And, uh, uh, you know, cause there's some topics that need to be aired. We have some grievances. The Festivus poll is going to be coming out in a few months. We're not that far away from it. So it's not too, uh, too soon to start airing our, our grievances. Yeah, and totally. And uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Sorry, you got me thinking about microservices again. You know, uh, the thing is, we're done. It's just not working. So <laughs> we can't trace anything. Yeah. We can't deploy on. anything. But I haven't checked in code in four weeks, so I mean, I guess I'm doing right. Does YAML count as code? Ooh. Oh, ooh! <laughs> I, like I got to ooh out of both of you. <laughs> <laughs> It'll cause you as much time debugging as real yeah, code will. For real. Uh, like, I want to so, meet well, somebody who's a, a Kubernetes developer and be like, are you? Are you? <laughs> Dude, they might actually throw down. Oh, I'll get slapped. Yeah. I'm not saying that <laughs> yeah. I won't. And deservedly so. Deservedly right, yeah. so. But, you know. Emotional. I, do you remember that? You, you know, like the Willy Wonka uh, meme, you know, where he's like, yeah, tell me about all the code you write in YAML. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man yeah, hey so we do have you know we've mentioned this before atlanta code camp's coming up october 9th um so we've signed up for a few did yours get approved jay-z oh i don't i didn't check my email you should check one of mine did the other one's still evaluating so i guess by october 1st i'll know if the other one's approved. but um you know, if for anybody who's listening, that's actually on that board, please don't, don't hate me for that. It's a little bit funny. So, and if you're still looking for sponsors for Atlanta code camp and you're wondering like, why haven't those guys done it? Like also blame Alan. Yeah. Also blame me. (laughs) Really? We don't know what's going on with all the lockdowns and stuff. So it's like, I don't know. Or should we, yeah, I don't know. You like how I just like immediately threw him under the bus right there publicly, like on the spot. Like, yeah, that was pretty awesome of me. Right. It was good. Best friend of the year award right here. This guy, I'll take the bus. Hey, I'm a pretty big dude. I can handle the bus tires a few times. So yeah. All right. So I guess, uh, Jay-Z, you want to lead us off with uh, the first water cooler topics here? Yeah. And so, uh, I was just kind of interested in uh, in changing my life. I'm so tired of the animal. <laughs> I'm so tired. Even of Jason. I'm sick of Jason. 
I'm sick of the internet and the web, okay. all of it. Can we talk about how you even called it Jason and say, like, shouldn't it be just Jason? I say Jason too. Like every time you say Jason, I'm like, yeah, you're going to confuse somebody. I there. think you're thinking of like, I, I, every time you say it, I'm thinking like Friday the 13th when you say it. Look, like Jason's right you behind you. Jason. I wouldn't like him either. Jason. No, we're not talking like that here. Come on. Now. <laughs> this is the South. We got to like enunciate Jason. We got some different vowels down here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, in a direct response to uh, all that uh, stuff we just talked about, I have been uh, watching videos on competitive programming again. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with competitive programming, it's basically just solving computer programs really, uh, really quickly. And uh, there's a bunch of kind of common techniques, and there's a, a bunch of websites for problems, and there's a bunch of competitions. I cannot believe how many competitions are running all the time. And uh, also contests, difference being contests have money or prizes or other stuff. And uh, so I decided it'd be kind of fun to talk about. So uh, first question I have is basically like, why on earth would you do this to yourself? And I mean, I, well, yeah, why I would you? I've got my answer. <laughs> well, why would you? Allah? So I've actually done it. Uh, yeah. So. If you are in college, then there's a good chance that your computer science program there um, at your college or university uh, competes in the ACM programming competitions. And they, you know, are probably looking for people to volunteer to to be on the teams or, you know, to put together a team or teams that they can then send down and they'll they'll cover the cost of, you know, wherever – uh, you know, the, the, the competition is. And, uh, so yeah, so, so I did it, uh, two years, uh, while I was in school and it was, you know, I, I thought it was a lot of fun, you know, um, it is, it was super, uh, like you, you have to think on your feet, you know, like you have to be prepared. You can't like, okay, you know, here's the encyclopedia on, you know, whatever your favorite language of choice is. And, you know, I'm going to look up something when I'm there, like, you know, you, you, you do have to be pretty spot on, but it was, it was a lot of fun and a lot of challenge and, and the problems that they would give you, at least back then, you know, at the time you're like, they didn't seem like they were, you know, terribly, you know, fascinating problems, but yet, um, you know, it was still fun. It was a challenge. So, so that's why, you know, especially like in college it gives you something to do, man, you get out, you know, for one weekend, uh, you know, the college pays to send you somewhere. And in my case, yeah. like one of the places we went was, uh, like Miami. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So I did, uh, I did an ACM challenge once, uh, on medical school. Um, and it wasn't like a big company. Like uh, we just had a class that like gave us extra credit or something to do it. And so I did it once and tell me if this is how you did it. They gave us all, it was basically like a sheet of paper or something with like five problems and you would solve the first problem and then you would, I forget how you got the code to them, but like somehow you would get the, um, the code over to them and they would run it and then come back and say, pass or fail. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't really tell you what you passed or failed on. So you had to kind of reread those instructions and figure out, you know, what kind of quarter case you missed. And so all the times it would be like, maybe they passed no input or something. And, you know, we returned, you should return to zero instead of a null or something like that. It could be really silly, but it was could be really tough. You could get stuck for a long time on those, and so I remember being frustrated with that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah they they wouldn't tell you what specifically failed about it, just that you failed and move yeah. on about your day. 
Yeah, and uh, I heard a, po- a podcast recently, uh, an interview with somebody that was co-recursive, co-recursive show recently. They were talking about it, and they described it as the exact same format as it was like 10 years or 20 years ago, whatever I did it. Well, there's also su- such an explosion of languages out there today and, and libraries and whatnot. Like, I can't imagine, you know, what the advantage that uh, or, you know, either the advantage that people would have today trying to solve the problems that we were tasked with back then, or like how much more complicated the problems would have to be today mm-hmm. uh, in order for it to be fair. Cause like, um, like I, uh, that's one of the things that I remembered as being like um, kind of a, a, an advantage or disadvantage was like what your language was that you were going to use. And, and there were like yeah. some limitations as like what, which ones you could use, but it was like the Java teams always seemed, I was, I was on the, the C we, uh, team and the Java teams always seemed to like get their stuff done faster. You know, like ironically, <laughs> the language uh, is easier to work in, right? That's really, what yeah. It and it was like, to. and it was like in, in a friend of mine, um, that I worked with later, like he was on, I remember, you know, uh, he and I competed against each other. We were at different schools and we competed against each other and his, his team won one of the regionals that he and I were at. Um, and you know, he, he was on the, you know, they used Java for theirs and, you know, we used uh, C for ours. And, and I remember talking with him about like, you know, how they solved some of the problems. And he was like, Oh, well, some of these things that we were doing, like, like, you know, I don't remember the exact examples off the top of my head, but it's like, oh, they were like a string manipulation thing. And it was like, oh, that was just built right into the language. You know, for example, you know, we we didn't have to do any custom coding for that kind of thing or whatever it is. Like that might not be the greatest example, you know, but I don't remember exactly what it was, but you get the point. Well, like there were things that, you know, uh, you know, that was just baked into the language. And and now, I mean, imagine if you had to do like any kind of string manipulation, for example, um, with like, you know, the regex libraries that are available, you know, if you were to do something in a Python or, um, you know, go in Rust really popular, like whatever the language is, like imagine if you had to, if you had those kind of capabilities of whatever, uh, of some of the other languages, like it seems like it'd be, um, you know, more uh, easier, but they might still have the same kind of language restrictions that you're referring to, Jay-Z. Well, you know, I, I looked to see, um, you know, if I could figure out anything. And I actually found, what, from what I found, uh, the competitions, at least the ones I was looking at, do not limit you based on language. And so I actually found people doing some pretty cool stuff like using uh, list bike languages or APL even, like old languages, because they just had, you know, if they were good at having math functions and were really fast and were uh, really terse. Like uh, APL apparently has a lot of, like, symbols and stuff. Like, you actually need a special... Uh, keyboard for it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a real kind of like mathy kind of science focused language. And so people will use that in competitions today, <laughs> you know, in the year 2021, which is crazy to me. Now, but I did look up the most popular languages. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that because the one, one key thing that I remember about it though, is that like you weren't graded on like if, like if, if you and I both submitted a, a program, uh, you know, as an, ex- to, to solve the problem, and mine ran slower than yours. That didn't matter. If I, if I submitted mine first, that's all that mattered. Like your, your code could be far more elegant. It could be, it could perform faster. But if I submitted mine first, that was literally all that mattered for, to win the competition from what I recall. Yeah. Same for me. And, um, and, uh, there were timeouts, so it would have to solve the problem in less than, yeah, yeah, you know, that's true. Two minutes or something. 
um, then just made sure you had a decent algorithm and then you weren't just like totally brute forcing it. But if you ever watch on YouTube competitive programming, you will not believe how fast just the speed at which people type. And so the problem will huh. start up and almost like they'll start typing like, well, I know this is like a, a graph problem. So I'm just going to start typing while I'm thinking about the problem. So it's almost like they're typing, a, you know, a BFS, you know, whatever search while they're reading the problem. <laughs> it's huh. the craziest thing. And the fingers just fly. Talk to me about uh, this typing thing. Like you got a, <laughs> a special keyboard for that or something? For APL, you do. Uh, it's because it's got some special characters. But no, they're just super fast typing and while talking. Like and, and just me. hearing the, while they narrate it, uh, <laughs> be like, okay, well, this is going to be some sort of derivative. Of, and you hear the tapping. And so, like, while they're talking, they're just, like, typing out for loops, you know. And uh, that's one thing, too, too you'll notice uh, when you see people typing uh, and doing um, competitive programming. You're not seeing a lot of advanced functions. You're seeing a lot of, like, kind of basic coding constructs. You're obviously not seeing a lot of classes and inheritance and stuff like that. You're seeing a lot of for loops and kind of if statements and that sort of thing. Because a lot of times that's what you need. Yeah, yeah but trying to make stuff work, right? It's like Outline <clears> said, it's got nothing to do with elegance. It has everything to do with getting the output that you want. I yep. mean, half the time is spent on getting the spring configuration right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> getting the Maven build set up. Right? Yep. Am I wrong? Well, that's why you lose because while you're oh, setting all that up, somebody else has already wrong. submitted their 50 line <laughs> program of for loops and ifs. So. Yeah. Oh, uh, I did want to mention too before I uh, get on to the next part is that, um, so, uh, job opportunities and actually just making money too. Uh, all the sites that we've got, we'll have a big list. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, there's tons of resources here. Like in the show notes, we're going to have like 10,000 <laughs> problems <laughs> programming. Well, which will probably average, you know, taking you like 30 minutes a piece to solve. So you can spend the rest of your life doing this. Uh, a lot of the websites and competitions are actually tied to, uh, like virtual career fairs or, um, we'll let you submit. If you do well enough in the competition, you can automatically kind of apply or like send your information to companies. Like all, pretty much all of them have some sort of career angle, which I thought was interesting. So if, you know, if you're looking for a job, it's not a bad way of kind of like spending your time, you know, but like if you're looking for a hobby, competitive programming is one that could can get you some money. You can win some contests and stuff, which, you know, admittedly is probably going to be a very small top percent there. So that could be really difficult, but it might be a good way to kind of get an interview uh, with one of these great companies. And if you're going to go interview like one of the fame companies, you know, Facebook, Netflix, Apple, whatever, uh, a lot of them rely on, on questions like this in an interview which you're going to be <laughs> ridiculously fast at if you develop the skill which is nice if you're looking for a developer who can write unmaintainable code really really fast exactly <laughs> this is where you go <laughs> and they are <laughs> you know what Seemingly. this reminds you know what this reminds me of though so outlawed shared this tip a long time ago it was um oh man darknet diaries that oh, yeah. podcast they there was an episode dedicated and I can't remember what it was. Maybe we'll look it up, put it in show notes. But there was a particular episode dedicated to Black Hat and how there are teams that go to Black Hat and it's not code competitions like this, but it's hack competitions where you're trying to hack in and and figure out puzzles think, and stuff. You're thinking of Pwn to Own? Is that pwn the one own. you're thinking of? Yeah, Pwn to Own. Yeah, and, and so. That's what this reminds me of, right? Like it's not about about writing the most maintainable code in the world. It is about getting the result that you want and and moving past the problem, right? And and honestly, I think this does tie into real developer life and this is just sort of a side tangent. You should always get your code working first. In my opinion, 
Get your code working and then refactor it into a better form afterwards. Because I don't know about you guys, but anytime that I've ever tried to write like an OO thing and start with the most elegant layout at the beginning, I always knock it over at some point because I'm like, oh, that was a terrible thought. That was a bad design. That that didn't make sense. And it didn't really appear to me until I got into the problem and was able to figure out where the thing, where the divides were, you know? I've totally done that. Like you're basically like pre-optimizing for something that you don't know that you need yet. And then you, you like code your way into a corner and you're like, man, only because I made this stupid decision before I realized what I needed. Right. And you know, yeah. Yeah. So make it work and then make it pretty. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Every one of my PRs from now on, (laughs) making it work. Was uh, make it work, make it right, make it fast. Something like that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You get two fast. Yeah, exactly. There's no make it pretty there. Yeah. That one's always technical debt that you never get back to. Yeah. Uh, so um, I found an article, which I'll have a link for, and uh, they had five steps for getting started with a uh, competitive program. I thought it would be interesting to go through them. Uh, and the first one was obviously a pro- choose, a programming, choose a programming language. And uh, the ones they listed are consistent with every single other article I saw. And the choices that they say they recommend in this order, every article I found, C, C++, Java, and yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Python. Maybe. Yeah. I would have totally reversed that. I'm, I'm surprised too. that C was first. Yeah, that's me what I'm too. saying. Yep. I, now, to be fair with C and C++, it was almost always listed as C slash C++. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they're, you know, I don't know how they're, if they're necessarily ranking that one first. Um, but yeah, I, uh, to me, it's crazy. Um, and I tried to figure out like exactly why <laughs> they've recommended those low level languages. Cause I typically think of them as being more difficult for the programmer because right. of managed memory more, uh, you know, and we said the performance that we've seen of the algorithms doesn't seem to matter as much as your ability to get it out there. But time, time again, every article, C C plus plus at the top, not go, not rust C and C plus plus. Yeah, I mean, I would have even probably thought that JavaScript would have been on that list with Node and all those things being as prevalent as they are. Like, like it, it's easy to get to something working really fast with Python, JavaScript, those things, even faster than Java, right? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. That's why I would have thought that those would have been, like, much higher on the list. I mean, can you imagine doing a programming, langu- uh, a programming competition and if Perl was one of the uses? I mean, Perl I can be so... Uh, what would be the word terse? Yeah. You know, yeah. because of all the like hidden variables that if you know Perl, You're you can, you can like write three lines and like, where did this magic variable come from? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for fun. I just uh, Googled most popular for competitive programming and say C plus plus because it's faster and it's uh terse. So huh. the amount of typing you have to do compared to specifically like something like Java. Well, much yeah, lower. Ja- yeah, Java will give you carpal tunnel, even just a short competition. So, why not Python? Like Python, there's so much stuff in the standard lib that it seems like I like when I was learning Python uh, earlier this year. I, like, well, my big reason this is, was I was interested in competitive programming, and it seemed like that was the best choice to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, it seems like a good fit for it. Hmm. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of my experience. 
Yeah, I don't know. So let's know in the comments if you can think why C or C would be a, bit, a better choice. I mean, it may, it's got to just be performance, right? I yeah. can't imagine any anything else. Yeah. So yeah, I, thought it was so I mean, like I don't remember. Maybe I just don't remember the per the problems being to the point where it was like, you know. You weren't, it wasn't like fastest ways to search a tree or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, that's yeah. not the way, that's not the types of problems that I remember, but I don't remember exactly what the problems were <laughs> either. So maybe that's working against me. Yeah. The ones I had, like, they weren't really, uh, I imagine as you went on further on the piece of paper, it got harder and harder. I never made it that far, but, um, yeah, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, number two, speaking of that problem is understanding, uh, concepts of time and space complexity. Uh, so we, we've talked about those. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked about them, but we've been done earlier on the show talking about like big O and stuff like that in space complexity. And that just helps you make sure you can finish. I've watched um, all of the big bang theory. So I feel like I'm pretty good on that yeah. one. <laughs> That's definitely where you learn about this. I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, from, from what, you know, what we just mentioned, like it's just really important that you uh, are able to finish the problem uh, like the uh, given amount of time. What I, don't, what I mean there is like the, some sort of timeout. So like they'll give you maybe like two minutes or something to solve a problem. You'll see this a lot with advent of code too. Um, sorry, not advent of code. I don't know what I'm thinking. Uh, other wars. things like leak code or code war, stuff like that, yeah, where they, they actually run the code for you. Uh, the, the runtime is important. So even much more important than the choice of language is the algorithm. That's going to be way faster than whatever language you're using, uh, which is why, again, I'm surprised to see C and C++ <laughs> being recommended so heavily. Uh, learning the fundamentals of data structures and algorithms kind of a given to you, but um, I've uh, heard of people being able to bring in like cheat sheets or like basically text files of common algorithms to be able to like drop in certain competitions, stuff like that. Just having things at, at the ready. So if you've got a, something that takes five lines to uh, type, you can just kind of paste it out there. And that's crazy to me to think that people get to that level where they're that fast. They're just like, I need this and I'm going to modify it. Give me a, Give me a, I don't know, Dijkstra algorithm and I'm going to change, swap these two lines or whatever. That's really oh, wow. Them. I know, but could you imagine like being able to sling algorithms as quickly as you would like type a word? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, imagine like you were like stringing these things together. It was like, well, let me just take Dijkstra's and then we'll uh, loop it through the traveling salesman, pull it through the knapsack, uh, <laughs> rot 13 it, and uh, there's your answer. That, I just programmed my gaming keyboard macros to do that. You know, yeah, like yeah, one key, yeah. Dijkstra, That's boom, cool. done. Yeah. Bellman Ford, bottom left button. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Can you imagine if somebody actually did that? Oh, uh, what crazy. if somebody's listening and they're like, That's actually a really good idea. Doing yeah. it now. Yeah, you, know, you have a bunch of shell scripts and you just kind of pipe this stuff together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it didn't do it for the keyboard. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, so the step four is just take the challenge and solve coding problems. So uh, get out there and actually join those competitions. Do those uh, problems on like leak code or code wars or any of those sites. We'll have a bunch of lists. We'll have a big list here. And of course, the last one is just practice. So there's really no big secret there. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, the only thing that's really kind of uh, novel or maybe a little bit different is just the choice of languages. So if this is something you're really thinking about getting into, I would recommend, you know, reading those articles for yourself and like choosing a language that makes sense for you because I, you know, I assume they're doing it for a reason. I mean, the, the, you kind of glossed over that last one though, the, the practice and do it regularly. But I mean, you had a, a whole article on like sharpening the saw, 
Remember like you had a whole series of videos too, I think on that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I did a bunch of little projects. I did a bunch of um, projects on, I was like streaming leak code and stuff or just done experiments over time. Uh, so I always like this sort of thing, but I'm not nearly fast enough to be able to do. I think uh, I would have to kind of change how I would approach things. Like, I think if you're trying to just get it better programming or learn programming language, it's good to just do a problem and just say you would solve it. If you're trying to figure out how to solve those problems fast, then I think it, you would kind of almost want to like know what the answer is and then figure out how to code it fast rather than trying to figure out the algorithm on your own. Like, and the idea I think is there to almost like, memorize or at least recognize the patterns with all these uh, algorithms that already exist. So you can just sling them out as you need them and be able to recognize, you know, when you need to make small tweaks to them. Yeah. But I would love to have that in my back pocket. It's like, like imagine being in the job interview and like describing the problem to you. And you're like, I, I mean, I was just thinking to myself, like if I had to write a C program, like, it's been so long since I've written C. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I could just do int main and then something. <laughs> what, what editor would you even use now? Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't know. Like, well, yeah. you know, like I'm so used to things like the scaffolding of that, like main method being done for you and yeah. you know, any tool that I'm like, if I had to write that from scratch and that was the thing too, that I remember was that like in, in the, when we did the ACM competitions is we were doing everything from scratch. Like that, you know, might've been what yeah. hurt us too, but, uh, you know, yeah. Hey, so, so back to your C, C plus plus question, the, the link that you have here next, the guy actually says why he thinks that C plus plus is what you want. And he basically talks about the standard template template library in C plus plus. Yeah. I just don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, I, I too don't get it. And then, and then he went on to say that the the primary reason not why why does Siri ever do anything when I don't want her to do stuff and never do anything right when I do want her to do stuff? Sorry, because that's how good Siri is. It's ridiculous. Man. Now mine's gonna go. Oh wait, no, mine won't. Yeah, yeah, because she's she's hey, wait useless. Until, <laughs> let's wait until I say serious, and then right, yeah. Oh, and then my phone but, will wake up. But this guy also said, don't use Python, Ruby, et cetera, because they're slow. And you don't have as much control over low-level things. But I wouldn't imagine in these competitions that that Python's going to run so much slower than your C app, right? Like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe yeah. it does. Someone you know? does mention that you'll sometimes have side metrics on performance, like memory or uh, processing, which that would definitely make me think, okay, like a C++ C++ is a top contender. I mean, uh, I, but, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, finish. I was say, people also recommend not using Python because it has support for things that you may not may not be good practice, like support for really large numbers when you should really be solving those problems in other ways. Mm-hmm. So you might be tempted to do things in ways that like Python has accommodations for that are slow. All right. Right. Well, it sounds like like he's specifically calling out set map and vectors from the STL and, right. and that's his thing for it. But it also almost reads as if it's because you know, the com the competitive programming that he's doing, like, you know, it's not just a matter of who submitted first, but who's was fastest might be part of like, you know, mm. what matters. And right. like, I'm coming from the perspective of the ACM competitions in college. They didn't, you know, as long as it executed within the given time frame, it didn't matter like whose was fastest necessarily. 
So maybe that's why like I have, you know, different opinion on that or, you know, from it cause it's coming from a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a couple slides here. I'll just blaze through real fast and then we'll move on. Um, so uh, I mentioned already, we'll have a bunch of links, but I just want to mention a couple of the main sites for getting started. Uh, HackerRank. Uh, what's special about HackerRank in this domain is they have really great tutorials along with the problems. So not only will they have a set of problems, but they'll actually have like the explanation between around like why these five problems are interesting or like, hey, let's read about binary search trees and now here's 10 problems to go along with it. So it's really nice for learning. They've got the virtual career fairs like everybody else. Uh, Code Chef has a uh, bunch of practice problems, but really their main thing is just competitions. So that's a, a good way to win some prizes and actually get in there and kind of get an actual, get some skin in the game uh, is a way to say it. <laughs> so you're actually competing, which kind of uh, teach you and really make you learn those ways of really taking things to the next level. Uh, Code Force is another thing, that, the big emphasis on um, contests and competitions there. Top coder uh, competitions and a lot of work opportunities. So sometimes uh, an employer will sponsor sponsor uh, competitions and hopes that you reach out to them afterwards or basically use it for kind of recruitment, which is pretty cool. And yeah, pretty pretty much all of them had some sort of career tie-in, which tells me companies are looking for people who can do this stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you because then these people know the data structures and algorithms off the top of their head, so that's what they're they're valuing yeah yeah this episode is sponsored by datadog a software as a service based monitoring and analytics platform for cloud scale infrastructure applications logs and more datadog uses machine learning based algorithms to detect errors and anomalies across your entire stack which reduces the time it takes to detect and address outages and helps promote collaboration between data engineering operations and the rest of the company. Now, I usually like to talk about all the different things you can do with Datadog and how awesome it is. But with the free trial, you can actually try this out and see exactly how it works for your stuff. So there's a ton of great integrations built in turnkey. So you can go find uh, a few things that look good and look interesting, like they might work with your stack, and plug them in and just see how you like it. Yeah, and with the 450-plus built-in integrations, chances are pretty high you're going to find something that is you know part of your current tech stack anyways. And with their amazing blog, you can find probably a dozen articles on any given technology that you're already using today of how Datadog can help you monitor uh, that particular technology. Cool. So go to datadoghq.com slash coding blocks today to start your free 14 day trial. If you start a trial and install Datadog's agent, Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Again, that's datadoghq.com slash coding blocks. Okay. So, um, I mean, I did, I did get some great reviews this time, so I feel like it would be rude of me to threaten again. Um, so I won't, even though I feel like Alan didn't reward you for your reviews or, or, or Joe, uh, you know, based on the way they did. So I, 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 I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to threaten you, but if you would leave a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says, all right. 
so a few episodes back, we asked, do you have TikTok installed? And your choices were, heck yeah, I love those videos. Or, nope, no way, never. All right, this is 166. So according to uh, Tutko's trademarked pattern here, Jay-Z, you are up first. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, heck yeah, I love those little videos. And the percentage, uh, I mean, it's got to be 87%. or higher. Man, I think that Jay-Z may not be wrong here. Okay. But I'm I'm going to try and have some faith in humanity here and say, nope, no way, never, and go with 51% for the win. Okay. Uh, But I have no confidence in this one. Okay. Uh, So Joe, super confident, says, heck yeah, 87%. And Alan, no confidence, says nope. Uh, with fifty one percent, I kind of picture like a uh, Eeyore, you know, like <laughs> nope, nope. It's probably not going to be the right one. <laughs> uh, I probably lost. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, well, let's see who the winner is. Let me let me go look at the things and uh you know, drum roll please and I will unmask some stuff. And the winner is nobody. No. We have a definite winner by a lot. Congrats, Alan. Really? Yeah. I I was so surprised that you were like so uh down about it. Like why I don't I didn't get it. It's I mean, so unlike you. It's so uncharacteristic. Hey, look, here's the here's the reality. Like I had TikTok for a minute and it is highly addictive, right? Like these little 15, 20 second clips. Like you could watch those things all day. But when you found out how they were tracking and tracing and like all that, like it just I was like, no, that's gone, right? Like that that will never see any device of mine again. So I just, I don't know. I was, I would just assume that most people either didn't know about it or didn't care because they needed those little crack videos. Right. So, yeah, I, I only want Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, uh, all the Amazon, all the, the only, they're the only ones that get to track me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be selective about who, who knows where you Everything are every second you. of the day. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a certain market capitalization that the companies have to reach in order for you to feel comfortable tracking is what I, what I'm gathering. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, we've talked about this. This is why I have an iPhone, right? Like out of all of them, oh, I, I feel thinking. like, yeah, I didn't mess your joke up, but yeah, man, <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. So what was the percentage? I, I'm, I am actually stunned that, that I won. Well, yeah, this, okay. So this is why it was such a big win because Joe severely overshot his part. It was all missing out. 92%. Whoa. Nope, no way. My Never. people. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So, you know. Hey, have you guys seen on the YouTube video, another company that tracks you, obviously, but have you seen on the YouTube app on your phone that they now have shorts that are almost identical? Like, they totally ripped it off t- t- TikTok. Sounds good, though. <laughs> sounds Is insane. it not? Yeah, it sounds funny. 
You just keep swiping up. Like whenever you see the good stuff, like posted on Reddit or Twitter, it's always TikTok. Oh, okay, fair enough. Maybe it originates there. I wouldn't be surprised if YouTube didn't like scraping TikTok to get that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, yeah, you got sometimes you got to live on the edge, right? I mean, I threw a I threw a yield sign into a tornado and just threw caution right into the wind. I knew it was coming, but I didn't yeah. know how good it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. uh, that one you could thank uh, Super Good Day for. So. That yeah, is a fantastic great. dad joke right there. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, all right. So for this episode, we ask, <clears throat> do you find that you're more productive dot, dot, dot at home? Less commute time, more code time. or at an office, too many distractions at home. Or at the local coffee shop, pumpkin spice latte! <laughs> so good. Or it doesn't matter where I am if you're going to keep inviting me to all these meetings. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, so, you know. I like those. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? Uh, most are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone who wants to, <laughs> to use them without constant prodding. Clubhouse.io, which will soon be changing the name to Shortcut, is different, though, because it's worse. Wait, 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 no, no. We mean it's better. Clubhouse is project management built specifically for software teams and their fast, intuitive, flexible powerful, and many other nice positive adjectives. Let's look at some of their highlights. Team-based workflows. Individual teams can use Clubhouse's default workflows or customize them to match the way that they work. Organization-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied to larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. Tight version control system integrations, where you use GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, a clubhouse ties directly to them so you can update progress from the command line. Keyboard-friendly interface. By the way, this might be my favorite part. The rest of Clubhouse is just as keyboard-friendly with their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing in the trash. <laughs> Iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Clubhouse run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. Give it a try at clubhouse.io slash codingbox. Again, that's clubhouse.io slash codingbox. Clubhouse, again, soon to be known as Shortcut, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. Okay, so, um, yeah. All right, so, so uh, the topic that I want to bring, well, first of all, you know, do you guys take like a lot of, do you take like vitamin supplements or anything like that? Like, you know, to like deal with injuries or to like make sure like, you know, try to stay healthy and whatnot. Like try not to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went to the store, someone threw a bottle of omega three supplement pills at me in the drugstore, but luckily my injuries were only super fish oil. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That was not as good as the three. Oh, come on. Don't take that one away from Darren. That was good. Darren, don't listen to him. (laughs) Uh, all right. So, wow. Tough crowd. Uh, I mean, it was okay. It was okay. Uh, 
<laughs> okay. Anyway, what I wanted to talk about <clears throat> was, I mean, because Jay Z, I feel like you were triggering me on purpose. You were talking about like typing so fast. Like, come on, <laughs> come on, what are you doing to me here? So, uh, Alan finished the Moonlander review. So I finally got this thing after I think the warranty has expired by the time I finally got it after I ordered it new for us to, to review and everything. And like, he gave it to me and like all of the plastic bits have been rubbed shiny, you know, like you ever seen your keyboards that are like, get like that. Like, you know, that's how much he'd used it. So his review, like he legitimately did use it a lot. It was a long-term review. I said so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a short-term review, so get ready. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, wait. But so, you haven't told them which keyboard this is yet. The Moonlander. Yeah. Was, it? We said, I said that you had the, you, you had, you had finished the review of the Moonlander and I finally got it, right? I, I missed that part. I don't oh. think you said Moonlander. All right. So we're here there. We've arrived okay. now. So well, Moonlander. Well, I don't know. Maybe we didn't arrive. That's kind of a conspiracy, but. Uh, thank you. I'll be here all the week. Um, <laughs> so at any rate, there's the, I got the Moonlander, uh, the ZSA Moonlander keyboard, which is an ergonomic keyboard where the have, you know, the, the keyboard is split in half. And it's one of these kind of ergo layouts where the thumb gets a lot more buttons than you get on your traditional keyboard. Now, <laughs> so <clears throat> how long you been using it? I, I, I'm two weeks into this. Wait. Uh, yeah. Two weeks. <clears throat> right. I think this is the end of your second, right? Yeah. Is it the end of my second? I might, I might, I actually, I think I'm like two and a half. I think it's more like two in a few days, but it's rough, man. Like, Oh my God. Oh, I, I did. This, but the, but the, the buttons and with I want to type something, just normal words. And I can't. So when, when I first got this thing, like I didn't think to do like a, a typing, uh, thing with my old keyboard. Cause my, my, my go-to before this was the DOS keyboard. And I hands down that keyboard is awesome. I, I still love it. It was a great keyboard. Uh, I only got rid of it cause I wanted to try, Something different because originally I wanted the split halves because I wanted to put my microphone in between them. And then now I don't even do that. So now I kind of like defeated the purpose of why I wanted it in the first place. But, um, it's, uh, okay. So here's the things that I love about it. Number one, I love that the cables, for example, are user replaceable. You, you, cause you want a six inch T R R S you know, it's a four pole, uh, you know, audio cable to connect the two halves together. Fine. You can go out and buy one. So that like it uses a USB C connection. The USB C cable is also, you know, user replaceable. Okay. So now we've gotten what I love about the keyboard out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the $3 parts that come with it. Got it. Got it. Oh no, I, I upgraded those to be like, you know, the specific links. Cause I didn't want like a whole bunch of extra cable laying around on my desk. Right. Right. But so we, we have a $360 keyboard and your favorite parts of it are, are the, the $3 USB yeah. cable and the $3 TRRS. I also cable. like Got the it. box that it came in. 
All right, so six dollars, <laughs> so, maybe eight dollars. We're into eight dollars of loving the thing now. All right. So, so I didn't think to do a typing challenge with the with the DOS though beforehand, just to like kind of see where I am speed wise, right? But I mean, I was up there, like you know, I don't I don't remember what it was, but I was I was I was pretty up there. But I got this. <laughs> oh, I was in like the low teens. <laughs> When I first started with this, this keyboard, this keyboard takes some effort. And I mean, like every day since I started using this thing, I spend time like they mentioned in their shirts, like oh, 10 minutes a day, <laughs> 10 minutes. Come on. You need a lot more than 10 minutes. I, I'm spending like in the evenings, I'll, I'll just sit there like this has become my new favorite games have been all the typing challenges. Like I'm just trying to get my speeds up and after, and I'm not kidding, man. Like, you know, the time I'm talking about spending in the evening or even before I start my work day, or if I'm like in a meeting and I'm able to like put it on, uh, you know, just listen in on the meeting. Um, you know, I, I bet it's probably an hour a day that I spend on it. I'm only in the fifties, or the I have recently within the last couple of days broken into the low sixties words per minute typing. All right. So that all sounds great, but you know, you're like, okay, well you're making progress two and a half weeks. That's not, that's not so bad. Here's the thing that I'm realizing though, that I, that I completely took for granted. Like why am I having so much trouble with typing on this keyboard? Well, for one, forget about all of the other non letters. Let's only talk about the letter keys, right? Cuz you're like, well, they can't mess that up, right? So, this keyboard one of the one of its uh features, one of it one of the things that they tout as like, you know, what's supposed to make it better and differentiate it from the rest is that unlike a traditional keyboard where the keys are kind of like staggered, you know, they kind of stair step one below the next, these are all in straight columns, right? And they say that there, there's supposed to be a benefit to that, right? <laughs> but what that means though, is that like where I would typically on a regular keyboard, if let's say uh, on your left hand, you uh, use your F, key, uh, you, know, you you would press the F with your pointer finger on this keyboard, I would, well, okay, you use the F for your pointer finger, and then if you wanted to press the, y, uh, the V, for example, right, you could just go down to a little bit to, the, to your right, and there's the V on a traditional keyboard, right? Whereas on this one, if you did that, you're going to hit the letter B, as in boy, not V as in Victor. So, so I end up, the bottom row of letters, like, I'm all over the map, man. Uh, I, I'm all over the place because I'm like, for example, again, left hand, if you wanted to use a Z, if you wanted to type a Z, traditionally on a regular keyboard, I would use my ring finger for that. Oh, but, you're not supposed to do that. But on this keyboard, on on yeah, because I would use the shift with my pinky, right? But on this keyboard you have to use your pinky because it's like directly below that a right. It's not, it, there is no, like you can't hit it with your 
your ring finger unless you're like totally distracting. And I totally remembered too, like I had a totally different survey for this episode. So <laughs> I, we're going to end up with two surveys. So wait for it. <laughs> so, so there's like all those little things that are, that are messing me up. But, but then uh, like now combine all of the symbols, right? Like, you want to hit a backspace. You want to hit the escape key. You want a, a colon or a backslash or uh, square brackets or, you know, whatever question marks. Like uh, there's a bunch of keys on the keyboard that are just dashes because they're user definable. You get to pick out whatever you want it to be. So there is, so you can't like hunt and peck. You can't look at it and be like, oh yeah, the escape key is over here or, you know, this is the page up or here's the colon key or whatever. Um, well, colon might be a specific bad example because I think that one is printed, but, um, but you get the idea though. So there's keys that, that you might use that aren't, uh, printed. And then like all of the number keys don't have their extra symbols printed. So like, you're like, okay, dollar sign, just got to remember it. Right. Which fortunately that one hasn't been, you know, remembering the number sign alternates hasn't been a problem, but like remembering where all those other buttons that aren't labeled, you know, that has been a thing. And, and I bring that up because like the amount of like just awareness that you have to have as you're using this keyboard is high when you're learning it, right? It's eating up some of your CPU cycles in your brain. It totally is because like you're having to put a lot of thought to be like, okay, this is where I mapped that key as you're typing along. Right. And you're like, Oh no, I hit the wrong one. Let me, you know, and, and you can't look down at it because, you know, because those keys it's are just a dash, dash a anyways. Dash yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it, it makes it complicated, you know, to, you know, or uh, it makes it, I should say it makes it frustrating because of the amount of effort that you're not used to having to expel to, to type on this thing. But then further, what I found is like with my whopping, you know, 58 words per minute that I've gotten up to on this thing. <laughs> now I go on my laptop and try to type and I'm like, I'm like just a monkey banging on the keyboard. I can't, I can't type on it either now. Like it's totally ruined me. Ruined. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, it's just, that's, that part's frustrating, but like from the typing words part, like I do feel the benefit like I'm getting there with it, right? It's frustrating. It's totally frustrating, but I am getting there. I am only like you know two weeks and some change into it, right? Uh, so, so I still got a ways to go, uh, especially compared to you know Alan's review. But um, <laughs> what I haven't done in my exercises like getting into all of the extra symbols as part of that typing, like occasionally, you know dashes and colons and punctuation, you know, those will get in there. Um, you know, uh, single and double quotes, maybe the occasional number, but it hasn't gotten like too crazy. And like some of the, uh, programming thing or, uh, uh, sorry, some of the typing things that I have found have been more specific to programming. And so specific to this keyboard, for example, they actually have a training program that you can use and you can attach, um, you can quote, attach the keyboard to it where like it, it'll, uh, you put the keyboard into the training mode to work with the software and it'll know what your mapping is that you, your, your current layout. And, um, 
they do have programming specific ones and you can pick like what language did you want to do? Did you want to do like a Python versus a JavaScript versus uh, I don't even remember what some of the other ones were like a HTML or, you know, whatever. So uh, you could get more into the, the different symbols that would be used in programming, right? Cause like writing code is going to be totally different than just, you know, writing Shakespeare, for example. Right. You, you know, what's funny though, like when you describe this, like you're taking an hour in the mornings to do this and you spend time at night. Like, dude, that totally wasn't me. It was, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be mad at this thing for the day. Then I'm walking away from it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to think about it. And then tomorrow I'm going to get up. I'm going to do the same thing. I never once did a training thing. I never once like I, my whole thing when I pick up a keyboard is this is a tool. If I can't use the tool, then there's a problem, right? Like I shouldn't have to go through a training exercise for something I've been doing for 20 years. And so I just struggled my way through it kind of like you are, except I never did any of the training things. So, I mean, I'm trying, I want to minimize the, uh, the, the, the downtime, you know, the, the burden from it as much as possible. But what I also find too, is that like, occasionally I'll be like, okay, you know, uh, I'll have a layout and, you know, as I'm going through the different exercises or whatever in the, you know, a day or two goes by and I'm like, you know what, you just, this one particular key just turned out to be problematic. I don't like it where it is. And then I'll go and redo the layout and <clears throat> make those little tweaks. But then there'll be like, you know, a couple of days where I'm like, oh man, I forgot I moved the page down key. And now I keep like every time I'm going for the dash key, I'm hitting the page down key or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, so, so that, that adds to, that adds to the problem in my opinion. So, so short term, is it growing on you yet? So it is. Okay. So the one thing that I super love about this keyboard, um, aside from the cables, cables are awesome that I replaced (laughs) that I got from Amazon. They're, they're great. Um, is that I never realized just how much more comfortable it is to have the halves at like shoulder width. So the way I have the keyboard laid out, basically like in a traditional, like if I were to go on my laptop, right. And I, and I try to put my hands in there, like basically it's almost forming like an a right, you know, or I guess a V if you're looking at me, but, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause you have your arms angled to get in there, but because these are split when my arms are on the table, they're like, my arms are parallel to one another almost. And, and I find that to be like r- very relaxing to be able to type that way. So once I do get into the rhythm of it, then it's so awesome and comfortable. And I, and I feel pretty good with it. And, but I find that like, as soon as I'm, as soon as I have to start thinking about where's that next key, that's when it throws me off and I start making mistakes. But if I can, if I can just like blast through it and, and not think about that, you know, then I start typing on it at a pretty decent rate. It feels like, uh, so, so from that point it does have, it is kind of comfortable in it. And I have this thing, I have this tinted at its maximum position. I actually was like, God, I wish you could tint it just a little bit more. Right. Cause it almost feels like it might be a little bit better, um, if you could, but, 
Um, also I'm kind of like, I don't know, maybe that's part of my problem too, is that like, I need to untent the thumb cluster a little bit more so that I could have like maybe easier access to that. Cause that bottom, that bottom most button is like, can be a bit of a reach, but one thing, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts were on this, Alan, because I do recall from your video, you were talking about the surface that you had years on and the, the, the rubber nub that was on one of the tenting things and like it's sliding and everything. Cause I have mine on my infamous mouse mat, uh, that is the size of a, you know, a, a table, but it's, it's a awesome. small air air strip on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> you park your car on it without getting any oil on your, on your garage yes. floor. Yes. Um, and, and so like it doesn't, it might not slide around as much as yours did. Cause you had yours on, just like uh, the you know the straight up on the wood of the desk, right? The polyurethane desk, yeah. So a smooth top. Okay, show off. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, super smooth. So, so the one thing though that I have found annoying though is that like <clears throat> because unlike a traditional keyboard, you would never think about this because it's connected; it's one solid piece. But because these are have you know separate individual pieces, I find myself constantly like. Like I'll look down and be like kind of tweak them and make, get them into the right place and then type. And I've noticed that like if one hand, if the, if the, if that half is just like maybe, I don't know, five, 10 millimeters, uh, at a, at an angle that I don't expect it or don't like it, then that hand will just mess up like everything. You know what I'm saying? Well, with that, it's more pronounced with that columnar layout of the keys. I'd notice the same thing. Like if it twists a little bit on you, yes, like it, it throws you off. And the thing is, I got used to that. Um, I got used to knowing when I felt like the my hands weren't laying on it right. And it ha- like, dude, it takes a long time to do it. I, I mean, it it is a um, what do they call it when something like is, is just frustrating, but it, it's like, you know, that there's going to be some pay dirt at the end of it. You just, you kind of have to plow, plow through it. That keyboard is that like, even after I was done with it, I did like it, but it's not my favorite I've ever typed on because what you said, the primary thing for me was the fact that it was always eating up some part of my brain to do it. And it was like, I've never, any other keyboard I I plug up to, I'm just, I'm going, right? Like I I can just fly through it like this. I've got the Kinesis um, gaming RGB edge thing right now. Freestyle. Yeah, the freestyle edge, the gaming freestyle edge. It's amazing. Like I haven't had to think about this. I I put this thing on my desk and and I was probably doing a hundred words a minute on the first time I touched it, right? And and that's rewarding. (laughs) So... You know, I'll, I, yeah, it's tough. The Moonlander, I wanted to love it, I, but I felt like it. You know, it it is not going to be a keyboard for everybody, but for the people that do love it, they will love it until the end of time, right? Like it, it's one of those things that's that unique. Yeah, it, it's a labor of love. The way I tried to explain this thing was, if you grew up on a traditional keyboard, and you know you you've used a traditional keyboard for years, then this thing's problematic. But if you were like a kid in high school and you grew up on this for years and then you tried to use uh, a regular keyboard years later, you know, you, you would hate that. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of like, what, what, 
what did you grow up with kind of thing? Cause you know, this one's definitely like a commitment. And one of the things that I found too, that is like, well, for those dash keys, um, I, 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 I'm of the opinion that like, once I get the layout to where I want it, I've found a couple different companies that make, um, that where you can get like custom printed keys, right? Specifically, like, you know, you can get the same kind of key that is on the the Moonlander already, a double shot. uh, I think it's like PBT, um, plastic key. Like, you know, you could find that exact kind of key, but you can get what you want printed on it. And I thought about it. I was like, okay, well, I could get like, uh, you know, once I decide on like, you know, where I want certain things, you know, get a, uh, a home or a page up or a page down, you know, those kind of buttons. Like I could get those, those kind of keycaps printed, but then I'm also like, Oh, this keyboard was also so expensive already. Do I really want to invest the money in now custom keycaps for, you know, the 20 keys that are blank, right. In- including all the piano keys for the thumbs, right. It, it is. Yeah. That part in. Say what? Pencil it in. Yeah, right. <laughs> Draw it on there. I mean, I, I thought about, I've thought about like, you know, taking like a, a, a label maker and, you know, labeling some of those, you know? So, I mean, you think you're joking, but, um, you don't know me, sir. Uh, yeah. I mean that, it, it that's the thing in, and, and, um, the one thing I will say about this keyboard though is, I absolutely hate it for gaming. I mean, hate it for gaming. And when I say you're so I excited it, for this keyboard, you really I know, does, man. But. I'm so heartbroken. I, I when I say I hate it for gaming, I don't mean like I kind of dislike it. And and so I think. Okay, so I even made like a special gaming layer for myself too, like so that I could uh, hopefully, uh, you know, improve on some of it. But um, Mad Viking God from our Slack community hit the nail on the head, and I didn't even recognize why I hated the keyboard until he said it. And now that he has, I'm like, oh, jeez, I can't unsee it now. I can't unsee the problem. So, did you game on it at all when you had it, Alan? I don't Alan? game on PCs. I hate gaming on oh PCs. God. Well, all, your, all PC, your keyboard so reviews VR. are now now trash. <laughs> they're all trash. So, if That's you've right. watched any of his game his keyboard reviews, just know they're all trash. That's right. Um, <clears throat> but leave it a thumbs up, anyways. So, yeah. right. so you hold down keys when you game. Is that the deal? Here's the reason why. That's what um, I'm wondering. Ignoring, ignore all of the thumb cluster buttons because you have three piano keys on each thumb and then this like weird, I don't know, it looks like a little house uh, key on top of those. Do you, do, does that key have a special name? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the red key. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a weird key. I, I don't know what that one is. But um, ignore that key. Let's just talk about all the other keys that are on the keyboard, right? They are the same size and shape uh they're specifically like a row four key if you were to like look at a traditional keyboard like on a on a normal mechanical keyboard the each row of keys is a different shape than the row but you know in uh, above it or below it 
um, because they kind of like stagger and kind of cur, you know, make this curvature up, right? But these these don't. All of the all of the keys are the same size and shape, same angle. You know, well, there's no angle, but there and and technically they would be like a row four key, if I recall correctly, right? What that means is that if you have like, let's say your your WASD layout, right, and you would you're used to that big shift key, right? You don't have that. You got this itty bitty little key to hit, and <laughs> I want to hit the big key. <laughs> so so unless you were to like remap it to be like your thumb, but like typically you'd want like your thumb as like the space for jumping, right? Like or at least on your left because your right hand's on the on the mouse, right? So. So yeah, so that part is weird. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, and now I'm like, I totally, it totally makes sense to me. And here's the survey to go with this. And, and I don't know if we want to do a real survey or for you to just want to answer what you do. So okay. you tell me, but when you game, okay, Joe, <laughs> we already know Alan's answer. I mean, I sometimes game on it, but it's oh, not, it's come not on. super frequent. All right, Joe, when you game, do you for the WASD keys? Okay, because because the normal typing is your pointer finger would be on the F key, which would mean that for the WASD keys, you're using your middle ring and pinky finger. For the WASD keys, for the ASD, right, and the and your ring finger for the W, right? Do you shift your hand left to put your pointer finger on the D, right? When you when you game, uh, yeah. So I don't use my pinkies when I type. Yeah, that's crazy talk. Well, yeah, so but we're talking, about, always, we're talking about gaming, though. We're not talking about typing. Yeah, so in gaming, I don't bring it in. <laughs> so <laughs> when I'm gaming, I, I don't even use it for shift or anything. Well, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think I sneak it in there. But yeah, I, I keep my my ring finger on the A all the time, gaming what? or not. The, okay, that's your, a great. Oh, your, wait, your ring finger. Oh, okay, yeah, ring finger. Yes, that's how I game also. Ring yeah. finger on the but he said whether he's gaming or not. So even yeah. typing. And that's one of the bad typing habits that I recognized at the start of this that I was doing. And I forgot to call that out. So thank you, Joe, for reminding me. What? Is that my, yeah. because, because like I didn't realize like how uncomfortable it was to have my hands on those smaller keyboards that close together. Like I uh. just kind of like traditionally put like each hand was one key over and it I've just gotten over and I've gotten I had gotten used yeah. to it over the years to have like, you know, when I needed to like make my hand jump, you know, to get over to where it was, should have been in the first place to hit, you know, like an H or whatever, or a G or whatever, then, you know, I just got comfortable with that over the years. So my, tradi- my, you know, normal resting place on a traditional keyboard was on the pointer finger for the D, for example. So when I do WASD for gaming, you know, it was, it was, pointer finger on the D. But if I do that on this keyboard, that key where my, where my pinky would sit for the shift, my pinky isn't on a key at all. It's on the frame of the keyboard Yeah, because I've completely overshot it because that thing, it's such a small hit point. Oh, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. My, my finger would go past it just looking on a regular keyboard. 
Yeah. So like on a traditional keyboard, that shift key is a large piano key, right? And it, and it yep. helps, right? Like you, you have, I don't know what size that key, but like I'm looking at the Mac laptop right now, it's keyboard. I mean, that shift key is gigantic. You know, it spans like three keys. So for gaming purposes, I don't know, man, like I'm still giving this keyboard. It's due. I'm still trying to give, I'm trying, I'm trying to give this keyboard. It's due. I totally love the key switches that I picked out for this thing. Like, Oh my God, it sounds beautiful to type no, on. dude. It is so. It sounds like you're getting shot the oh, entire God. time you type. It's it amazing. was even loud for me. <laughs> no, it can't get loud enough. I, like, if I could put this thing on an <laughs> amplifier and, like, you know, like while, blues, while, right? while other people are, like, you know, playing a lot of bass in their car and everything they're as they the drive blues. through, like, I would, I would be playing my keyboard. You have the blues, right? Yeah, they're the MX Cherry Blues. God, they're so yeah. freaking loud. They, they are great. obnoxious. But yeah. yeah, so so that's the um that's the the short keyboard review. Awesome. Yeah, so I'll tell you, I tried to learn Vim. Uh, I, like I oh, played yeah. a lot of Vim Adventures. Oh. I played several. I've played the first seven levels of Vim Adventures like twenty times. I just do it on the couch now. I can go through it pretty quick. But uh, as part of that, I tried to do the HJKL navigation, and because I don't use my pinky, and we were, we talked about this a while ago, I, I recently discovered that I don't use my pinky. I didn't even know when I slipped into doing it, but apparently it's been a long time because I can't do it. I'm with you. I <laughs> didn't know I was like that either. Yeah, but it actually it messes up me up pretty hard on Vim. Like I'll sleep like you know like little uh, tutorials where I'd be like just do this. It's easy to remember because you know you use this finger or that finger. I'm like nope. nope. <laughs> that's the that's the biggest thing is like I've forgotten is that um like I did find today for example I had to like uh shell into a, a server and do some stuff and I needed to get into VI and I'm like oh my gosh I can't like how do I save the file I can't yeah. find the stuff okay, the cool, yeah. <laughs> like I'm so used to going like top left of the keyboard for the escape key and then you know get into like the command mode and i'm like no i moved the escape key that's not it anymore (laughs) where's the escape key and then and then uh like all of my shortcuts like there was a couple episodes back i had talked about different shortcuts for like navigating the terminal where you could do like uh you know like skip words forwards and backwards uh you know across the the command line easily on this keyboard, I don't remember where like the alt and the controls and the shifts are. I'm, I'm constantly like, where did I map that again? And part of the problem too. Oh, I forgot to mention this too for my uh, short, long review. It, one of the big reasons why I was like really hopeful for like a keyboard where you had the control to remap it was that it's always bugged me for years going back and forth between windows and Mac that Mac uses one key for the, can copy like for example like it uses the command key for control like things in windows right right and so i always wanted to like it but if you used a, a a traditional keyboard for both then like that windows key would be weird on mac you know or 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 the command key would be the windows key on on windows and i was like you know i always want to like just remap it to where you know, that control functionality is always where it needs to be. And I'm realizing that like, that just doesn't work, man. Like, no, you, cause you find yourself in situations to where like, no, 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 you seriously need a real control key in Mac, right? You know, you can't get funny with this. And then because like 
the the Windows key floats around <laughs> instead of you know it's no longer where the command key was. It's where it's somewhere else. Like ah, I when I go between operating systems, I'm like oh my oh. No, it, so. it's better to keep that command key, the Windows key, if you're switching and just learn, learn that when you're on Windows, you hit this button because of the, the very reason, because it's inconsistent, right? Command C is copy, but if you need to do certain other things in Mac, you're using the control key and, and it doesn't map exactly the way Windows does things. So it's hard, it's hard to get used to that. I did try, uh, you know, I, I looked at your layout that you shared in your review yeah. and, um, it was crazy. That was insane. <laughs> so I didn't use that. Um, and, but I did, uh, Mad Viking God and I, we, we compared, um, layouts that we were using. And, you know, he, like you, what he was, he just has the one layer for the, for operating systems, regardless of whether or not it's Windows or Mac. And, uh, you know, I might end up, going back to that. So that's the way to go, man. You need to give it a try. It, it will actually make you happier. I think in the long run, I'm still trying. So like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll like, uh, you know, give a brief update at some point in the future, or if I never do talk about it ever again, then, um, I don't know. <laughs> It'll be too soon. <laughs> maybe, maybe I replace. It. I don't know. Awesome. All right. So I have, one that I want to talk about because I know for years and years and years, I mean, well, I mean, we've been doing this for years and years and years now. Um, we can actually say that uh, we used to hate on Java, and that's not going to change. Oh, I'm man. still going to hate on Java, right? <laughs> like, I I do not like Java as a language, not because it doesn't do what you want it to do. I just hate how verbose that language is, right? And so we've talked about our love of Kotlin, and I will continue to talk about my love of Kotlin. But what I want to talk about more importantly right now is my growing love and appreciation of spring in general. When right? I thought you were talking about the season. When you had it, you, it in the show notes, like, let's talk about spring. I was like, oh, yeah. Right? I mean, you know, we're heading into fall, but yeah, sure, we could we could talk about it. So, so I, I'm curious what Joe's going to say about this because we've both been living in the spring world for a couple of months now, and and here's the thing: like some of the one of, some of the reasons that we've always talked about that we love C sharp is there are opinionated ways about doing things, right? So in C sharp, if you want an ORM, chances are you're going with any framework. Why? Because it's what the community has kind of just globbed onto, right? Like that's, that is what you want to use because there's great support for it and all that. Um, there's a lot of decisions that are sort of made for you like that. Well, if you want to do things like aspects in C sharp, we've talked about it in the past, right? Like you're going to have to go get something like post sharp, which they have a free community version that does some stuff, but if you want the full power of it, you're going to have to pay for it. And, and there are things like that, that it's kind of like, okay, um, yeah, you know, maybe I'll do that. Spring has all this stuff baked in like, and I think I would have hated spring with a dying passion when it was all XML configuration driven stuff. I truly think that I would have hated it. But with Spring Boot and a lot of the auto wiring and configuration and hookins that you don't have to go configure and, and, and write your own configuration files to make this happen, like it's kind of a joy to use. Like, what do you think, man? Joy is a strong word. 
Okay. You know, like there are some parts that are just miserable where you just have to you have to Google. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and even then, and you're going to find like you know ways people have been doing it for the last ten years, and they're all different, and it's not really clear which version or like even what stuff they're importing. And there's so many times where we're like, okay, let me keep the, so the code sample, drop it in there. Okay, you know, code samples never have the stupid imports, so it oh. finds it for me in the, the you know IntelliJ. Oh, and then I realized, oh, it's actually it found things for like something else totally unrelated because I don't have whatever package they assumed that yes. I had, and yeah, you know, so it's just that kind of stuff is a mess. And strings changed a lot over the years. But man, so like some of the stuff is like spring security and stuff, just like trying to get that stuff worked out the first time. Like once you get it, it's golden. Trying to debug it is so rough and yeah. it just seems like magic to figure out because there's so much like implicit stuff happening. But that said, I love the output. I right. love how much integration, how much thought and how much stuff has been built in for it. I mean, it is batteries included. Like, it's the whole battery store. It's like batteries plus is like stuck on your web app. Yeah, totally. And I don't want to oversell it because all of what you just said is 100% legit, right? Like the struggle is super real when you're trying to get things to work and they're not working and you went to bow dung because you didn't know better and you started following their tutorials with their lack of imports and their lack of context and their lack of file names and directories and everything else. You, you look at it, you're like, Oh, this will be easy. And then you'll find yourself a day later cursing the world only to find out it's just a really bad tutorial site. Like if you ever find yourself on bow dung, leave. Right then, even though you think it's going to look like the right answer, just leave. Unless it was a tip of the week that Michael might have given, in which case, you know, it's okay. (laughs) I'm telling you, man. Like, I've wasted more time because I found something on Baldung that looked like it was going to be easy, only to find out what Jay-Z just said. Like, you'll pay some code, you know, just trying to get it in there. and It'll be like, hey, you wanted to import this library. Sure, fine. That That looks great. Only to find out it imported the wrong thing because it had the same name on it. And it was the only library that you had on your system at that time. So at any rate, so getting away from that stuff, though, I do find that there are things that Spring does for you as a developer that force you to be a better developer. Like the fact that it has the built-in IOC containers and that kind of stuff. If you actually learn how to use it the right way, you write your programs better from the get-go because you start looking and like, okay, well, how can I dependency inject this thing from the get? And I'm not newing up classes everywhere, right? Because all you got to do is tell it to auto-wire it and scan some packages and you're golden, right? And that's nice. Um, I have a couple links here just, you know, to the Spring Framework, <clears throat> excuse me, documentation in So their core bits that they have out of the box, and this isn't even getting into the data stuff, they have their IOC container. To me, that's huge. Like, it really is good. They have events. They So event sourcing and that type of thing, we've talked about it in the past. Like, I've done some stuff in .NET before where you needed something to trigger an event so that other things could subscribe to it, right? It's the, uh, uh, what's it called? The uh, observer pattern, Right. They've got that built into the framework. So if you need some sort of like little lightweight sort of message bus, it's built in. Like you don't really have to go out of your way to do anything special. Um, the resources, I think that's things like your configuration files, your property files, your YAML files. That in and of itself, I mean, Jay-Z and I have spent a lot of time fighting with that until we understood it, right? Like um, it, here's, here's a tip of the week that I'm not even going to put in the tip of the week. 
Um, if you have a properties file in spring and you have something that says, you know, uh, spring data JDBC URL, you put that in there and you can set it to a value. If you want to override that at runtime, you can just create an environment variable and replace all your dots with underscores and it'll automatically inject it in for you. Like there are beautiful things like that, but you have to know that the framework does it, which is what Jay-Z was referring to is there's so much magic behind the scenes that is really frustrating if you don't know how it works. And that is where you waste just hours of time. I just want to know, is there a spring boot configuration for my keyboard? Maybe that's what I'm missing. <laughs> there probably is. There probably yeah. is. Yeah, totally. Um, so just quickly, some other things that they have built into the framework that you get out of the box, internationalization, validation, data binding, which is sort of what I just touched on with like having environment vari- variables override, um, you know, properties files variables. They have profiles that you can set up so you can have a dev profile, a production profile, a QA, whatever. Um, they have type conversion. I don't even know what this SPEL thing is. Um, you know what that is, Jay-Z? Nope. Okay, maybe we'll find it here in a second. They have their their aspects are built into the framework, right? Testing, all kinds of stuff. I'm not even going to go over all those. Um, Their data access stuff. So they, man, the first time, (laughs) I think Jay-Z, me, and another guy, we were looking at how, how some of the data access was being done in an application, and it was truly irritating because... You couldn't find anything. Like you'd look at something, you're like, "Well, how are they're calling this? But where does it exist?" It doesn't until runtime, because Spring will go through scan certain files, and if you have interfaces, it'll automatically hook that stuff up and turn it into a real live class for you, right? So there is truly runtime or compile time magic that happens that you can't navigate to. But once you understand it, man, it is so amazing. So I don't know, man. Like I've, I definitely still have enough time that I get really irritated and frustrated fighting with spring, right? Like part of it's because I just don't know it that well, but I got to say, man, the more I use it, the more I dig it. Like it, it, it feels like the most mature of development frameworks that I think I've ever used. Yeah. S P E L was the spring expression language. Yeah. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I, that's, that's I, I was good. thinking if I said it, you might be like, Oh yeah, that's this thing. Yeah. Supports querying and manipulating an object graph at runtime. So it kind of sounded like link Ooh. to me based on Ooh. that description. It could be anything in the world. <laughs> it, mm. It's all magic outlaw. It really is. Well, I mean, they, they, I'm looking at the examples and, and one of the links that you gave me in it. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but that's kind of what it. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I need to look into it. it. I have no idea. I mean, but so like they have transactions in their data access, DAO support, JDBC, R, R2 DBC, OR mapping. Um, so the R2 DBC, if I remember right, that's reactive databases. So, um, I think CouchDB isn't that one of the ones to where when you do updates, it'll actually send messages and it's reactive. Um, yeah, um, so like not me if it's certain databases or it may just be a way of interacting with the, the databases that's kind of, um, 
just done a little bit differently. Like there's like um Jersey, there's like not Jersey, I can't remember. I, I'm gonna mess it all up. But the there's a couple things where that uh, have like reactive or kind of fluxy kind of yeah. ways of doing things. Yeah. When you say that though, you mean like like there's like a CDC kind of hook to it that like sort of. So there are particular databases that are set up for. It. I think we actually went to a talk on one years ago. I don't remember what it was. It was either Couch Couch DB or I, I don't remember. At any rate. It's very much like that. When you do an update, it sends out an event that other things can subscribe to. So it's sort of a reactive database that you can that you can program to. Um, Rethink DB is the one I think you're thinking of. It might be, might be. Um, yeah, when I think when I think about reactive, I think definitely about observe uh, the observable pattern kind of right. subscribing, and then you kind of like write the little piece that goes in the middle, and then, so it's nice, and you know, you basically write your little your little thing, and it gets kind of included somewhere. Yep, um, fancy. So uh, another thing, like we've talked about this in the past with C Sharp, like if you want to have some sort of uh, scheduling type thing that runs jobs on some sort of schedule or whatever, there's not a lot built into C Sharp to do that. There's there's the ability to run async tasks in the background, but you kind of have to roll your own stuff, right? Um, we had mentioned this has been a long time ago, but there was a product called Hangfire that was set up to do that kind of stuff. Spring has courts built into it, which is a full-on scheduling thing that you can leverage with Java. Like, there is literally, if if you have an idea of something that you might need in your application, there's probably some plugin in Spring itself that handles most of what you need. And that's really nice. It, it solves the problem that I always had with Java, which was, hey, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And then you get 5 million different ways to do it. Right. Spring kind of puts all these things in sort of a plugin format where it's like, Hey, this thing's right here. If you need it, just include it in your Palm file. You know, if you're doing Maven or, or included in your Gradle script and, and that's it. Like it's there. You don't really have to work hard to get past it. And, and that truly is kind of magical. So I still don't love Java. But man, I love the Spring framework that enables Kotlin, Java, Groovy, um, Scala, Scala, Scala. We've had this talk before. Is it Scala? Skill muted, Joe. I would say Scala. Scala. Yeah. I'm not muted. Uh, you're not so, muted now. You're not now. All right. Oh, yeah. hey. Maybe it's Scala depending <laughs> on like you know your area of the country. Right. Right. Um, oh, it's amazing. It's super mature. And just like you said, pretty much anything, any database, any framework, any tool, any service, it's already got an integration. And it's probably done really well. It's been really well thought out. It's really well documented. Uh, but you're going to have to Google because there's no way you're going to figure that out on your own. <laughs> You know what, you know what I've found for, for whatever reason, if you Google anything spring related, Baldung is the first one that comes up, man. I wish I could put it on my block list. No lie. I wish it would, it wouldn't even show up in Google. Can't you what, uh, go in? Can't you, isn't there a thing in Google where your search results, you can say this wasn't meaningful? Ooh, I don't know. There might it be. Was. I've never looked at it. <laughs> um, but I will say, for anybody that is on um, LinkedIn learning, I have found the spring courses over there extremely valuable. Like when I was going through the uh, data repository stuff, really, really good. Um, they left out some things because, you know, a tendency on tutorials to show you the happy path on everything, right? Which is awesome if you're just doing the happy path, but in the real world, you never are. Um, 
but I, I did find those tutorials to be really good. And also, even though they're not, they're not still a sponsor of the show, the educative.io courses on spring were also really good because they had excellent like code layout that would show you, you know, kind of how things should be in your directory structure and what they did and all that kind of stuff. So those two things I found to be super useful. So no, looks like now when you, there used to be the little ellipses on, uh, or the ellipse on, uh, your Google search results. Now it just takes you to like information about that particular result. But cause remember like you used to be like, show me the cash version. Well, there is still the cash button there. <laughs> oh, you know, that does remind me, uh, Jay Z, you mentioned something about the versions and the documentation. If you find yourself finding an answer on stack overflow, be aware that at least half the time, like spring seems to have this tendency to rename the classes and reorganize namespaces a lot because you'll see a code example. You'll go over there, type it into your IDE and it's like, Hey, we can't find this class. And it's like, Oh, you're lying. <laughs> you, you have to be lying to me because yeah. I found this thing on stack overflow and it must be true <laughs> only right. to find out that, Oh, in spring, you know, 5.4.1 or whatever, it was this class, but then in 5.4.3, you know, they renamed it to this. And it's like, oh, man, really? Why? Why did you do that? And, you know, you will run into that quite a bit where you just won't find the imports that you think you should. Um, so be aware of that. But yes, man. you have to Google and it's almost impossible, but it's worth it. <laughs> what you said. And it's hard to tie those two things together, right? Like, yeah. It's impossible, but it's worth it. Like somehow that's true. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to officially rename it to codingblocks.java. Uh, dot Kotlin. Dot Kotlin. No, I think I heard you love Java. Now. That's what, no, that's I what I heard. You can't be doing that. No, no, the, that there's no Java the love up here. <laughs> uh, dot Java. I just registered the domain. You had your chance, Java. It's too late <laughs> for, for the better part of three decades. Well, you know, the humorous thing though, is that like, uh, for, for the, you know, um, Java people on, among the Slack community, you know, they're probably like, just like, you guys act like you're just like, this is a brand new thing. Like you just heard of spring. Like, yeah, I know. it's like one of the oldest how, frameworks. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around for a minute, but hey, be the oldest, but in all reality, again, I don't think I would have got along with regular spring, right? Spring boot is where it's at. Yeah. Spring boot and the maturity, because I want to say like six, seven years ago, like there, there were people that were on the fence. I don't know. Spring boots, not quite there yet. It's really mature now. And, and it makes, it makes using the things that they've built into it pretty easy. At least once you understand it. So, yeah. Yeah, spring boot, not spring. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So we'll have a bunch of links uh, in there. I'm pretty sure it was Rethink DB was the one from that uh, the meetup. That sounds um, right. Yeah, that's been a while. Yeah, it's been at the you know that's probably when spring was created. <laughs> uh. So anyway, we'll have a bunch of uh, links to the resources we like for this episode. And with that, 
we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. And Jay-Z, you're up first. Yeah, so um, so we talked about Happy Path. Uh, Alan, you mentioned Happy Path and, and how kind of learning resources can sometimes be kind of tailored to making things work a little bit too much. And so the language changes a little bit or, you know, the imports change or they don't have the imports or something and it just doesn't work because they're so intent on teaching you the easy way of doing things and showing you how easy it was that uh, you missed something, right? Something's lost. And so I wanted to mention a book that I've owned forever and have like never got past page 10, but not because <laughs> I don't want to. I really keep meaning to, but I'm just, I'm so tired guys. I'm so tired. <laughs> but the book is learn, see the hard way. And what's interesting about it is that it's an alternate take on a coding book that forces you to really do the work. And if you remember, um, there was a book that was really popular, uh, several years ago called something like seven languages in seven weeks. You remember that book? It was like the craze for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same way. It was like, hey, we're going to teach you. Um, I forget what the languages were. Scala was one of them. Uh, we're going to teach you Scala. And they give you an exercise or two. And they're like, we're not going to tell you what the functions are. We haven't introduced really the language. We've told you like what the language is, how it's supposed to work, and what it's meant for, and what it's good at and bad at. Now you go figure out how to do it. And you had to Google in order to get past these assignments. And there's, there's no one there to grade you. And there's no one there to spank you if you don't do it right. So it's really up to you to put in the work. And this book is very much in that same vein where it gives you the exercises, but it hasn't introduced all the functions and it hasn't introduced the way uh, that everything works. So you literally, if this is all you know about like the C language, you don't have enough information to do the exercises in the book. That's because it's designed to really teach you. So the promise is if you do the work, if you suffer through this, you'll come out the other side actually knowing C. And isn't that what you want, right? Isn't that why you're reading the book? So it's an alternate take on uh, learning resources. It's very controversial. So I recommend this book uh, only if you think about it and think this you know, sounds like it might be good for you. And the, the author is Ed Shaw. I've mentioned him a few times before. He's a controversial person. <laughs> I, don't know. I think he would agree to that. And the book is controversial. You can read the views. like They're like right down the middle. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, but it's definitely thought-provoking, and it's an interesting way of, of doing things. And yeah, it'd be nice if you could just kick back and watch a YouTube video and come out the other side just knowing everything you need to do and being like you know an expert master at it. But realistically, that doesn't happen with too many subjects that are – and definitely not the ones that are worth learning. And so uh, give it a shot, maybe. This so sounds – like a day job. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like uh, the way you were describing is they like uh, went to <clears throat> code wars, got all the katas, printed them out into a book. And that's your challenge. <laughs> so it's, it's funny. So it's um, the, the, definitely not going to get into algorithms and stuff like that, but kind of, it does hit on like oddities and weird things in the, in the languages. And so it kind of encourages you to, to hit those sort of weird spots that most books would kind of guide you around. Mm. So he might say like, well, what if you returned null here? What if you, uh, you know, what if you divided by zero or, you know, those are contrived examples, but it kind of encourages you to kind of do things the wrong way a little bit and just to, in order to kind of see what happens. And the idea there is it's, you know, it teaches you, it strengthens you, it gets you used to seeing those error messages. And that's kind of the stuff that you struggle with later on, you know? You're right. So do we really need another book on Hello World and C? No. no. I don't know if we need this book either, but hey, <laughs> recommended it. <laughs> What a strong recommendation we have there from our own Joe Zach. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, learning can be fun. I learned that uh, mosquitoes love type B blood. Is that oh, true? No, that was my keyboard. Hold on. I meant that was a typo. <laughs> I love typo. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, geez. Yeah, sorry. Oh, man, you had me. You had me there for a second. I was about to Google. <laughs> You're like, can I get rid of them? Makes sense, right? Like, just switch your blood type, and then you don't have to worry about mosquitoes anymore. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I wanted to give a couple of windows terminal, uh, ones because, you know, I love windows terminal. So why not? Um, I don't know why I did this, why I typed that in like I did, but, uh, yeah, we're going to wing it and see, uh, what happens here. So, uh, one cool thing is that, uh, with windows Explorer, if you are in say file Explorer and you're like, Hey, uh, I really want to like, be right here. You could right click inside the folder and say open in windows terminal. And then whoop, it's right there. And there's like been, uh, things like this for years, you know, like, uh, I remember, do you guys remember, um, the, I think it was like sys internals that added in the capability to do like command prompt here type thing. So this is like this, except built into the operating system with windows terminal. Uh, so that's super handy. I find for myself, but, um, also, too, is that in Windows Terminal, uh, I like to have, you know, a PowerShell instance, a command prompt instance, uh, a WSL Ubuntu instance. But, you know, you can you can set what the default shell is every time you open it. But that's kind of a hassle if you know that, like, I directly want to go to, like, you know, whatever the third option was, which, you know, maybe you default it to PowerShell and you want to go to Ubuntu and maybe that's, like, third in your list. You can right click on your um, Windows terminal icon and you can go straight to the other, the one of the non-default shells right away if you wanted to. So I thought it was worth calling out because, you know, why not? I like it. It's simple. All right. So I've got a few here, or actually I think I got a couple here. So the first one is, I think my last tip of the week I had mentioned that somebody somebody was using Sonar Cube and Docker to do things, mm-hmm. you know, locally before yeah, they checked in. Say again, Derek. Geez. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so we got a Twitter reply from Martin, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't really like doing that because it's kind of heavy, you know, running Sonar Cube and Docker." And he's like, "I use Sonar Lint. Never heard of it." So. If you go to sonarlint.org, there are plugins for a lot of the most popular editors out there, right? So you have Eclipse, Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, and then basically every one of the JetBrains things out there. But they say it's it's a little bit better than your average linting tool because it it does so much for you. It'll check for security issues in your code. It'll check for code smells, bad patterns, that kind of stuff. And it supports Java, JavaScript, TypeScript, Kotlin, VB, HTML5, Ruby. It's, it's got a bunch of different languages in there. So, you know, maybe this is a great way to have a lightweight solution to help you out with code. And I remember, I even remember PostSharp doing things like this. Like it would help fix code smells when you're doing stuff. And so this looks like another way to, for free, to help you out in probably any one of your favorite IDEs out there. So 
really cool one. Thank you, Martin. Again, on Twitter, we'll have his handle in the show notes. So, you know, drop by and tell him thank you for sharing that. And then, so this is another one that I actually didn't find. Um, Mad Viking God and, and Outlaw found this. So we had a Jenkins build that was doing stuff with Docker build, but more specifically Docker build X. If you've never heard of that, maybe that's worth a tip of the week on its own is Docker build X gives you more um, features in your Docker builds than just Docker build. Because I think behind the scenes, this is using build kit. I think is ultimately what it is, or maybe it's not. I, At not least sure. that's what it named the way it names. It's uh it's processes is build build X underscore build kit underscore random name. Okay, cool. So like one of the features that the build X supports is being able to pipe secrets into your Docker containers, your Docker builds in a secure way. And that's awesome. As far as I know, it's the only way to do it securely to where it's not exposed either via volume or some sort of um, variable that can be sniffed at the time. It basically gets rid of it for you after it does it. Bill Kitty so, said, right? Yeah, Bill Kitty. Okay, yeah. Um, so that said, one of the problems that we had was the Jenkins process had a bunch of hanging threads, right? Like you said, there were basically processes hanging around that were eating up memory after running some of these Docker build X builds and come to find out there is actually a build X stop command that allows you to kill these processes. So um, mad Viking God actually, I guess he found it um, outlaw this thing. Uh, honestly, I don't remember. We were working on it. We were iterating on it together. Uh, I don't, I don't remember how that worked out. It turned out like the build X command had a whole bunch of different options, um, that you could do on it, uh, that you could do stop was one of them. Um, but what we ended up doing too with that, like part of that meant that you had to have the name. Cause when you do a Docker build X create to create your builder, um, you can name it or you can get a name back from whatever the default way is, but that name you're going to want to give to the stop command to stop that specific thing. So that basically was killing these, these processes that for whatever reason just weren't letting go. Well, yeah. I mean, just to give a little bit of background there too, uh, for our build environment, like everything we build everything via Docker. So like if you wanted to compile your, Kotlin, you want to compile your .NET, you want to compile your JavaScript, I don't care what it is, everything is going to be compiled via Docker because in that way, like everybody can compile everything on their machine, same as the build server is going to do because all the build tools are specified as, as you know, here's a Docker, here's file, a Docker file. Right, yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and, but yeah, with the build X options, it would create those uh, build X instant or builder instances, but because they weren't ever being told to stop, the instance was still available for something else to, to use it as a build as a builder. And yep. so, yeah, we, we uh, discovered, let's give mad Viking guy the credit. Mad Viking guy discovered like, Hey, there's the stop command. VG. And uh, we needed to, we needed to um, pipe that into our, as part of our process. 
Yep. So we'll have a link here in the show notes for it. It is super helpful. And again, if you haven't even heard of BuildX, there are a lot of features baked into that that go above and beyond what are in just regular Docker build. So check that out. Well, namely the number one feature, which was the reason why I think you introduced it uh, into our pipeline was that regular Docker, there's a limitation on the log, the amount of logs that it will uh, put out. And at a certain point, if the build process is too noisy, then it gives some kind of generic message. I don't remember the exact wording of it that like, Hey, uh, I'm going to just truncate everything because forget it. It's too noisy. And yep. and you never see what the build message was. And because we were using Docker build to do like all of our compiles and to build these layers. And that way you'd have, you know, be able to like cache things and uh, whatnot. Um, you know, we wouldn't see like when there, when there were build errors, it'd be hard to find like, you know, if it was in, in a big project, like, you know, where there's a lot of Maven dependencies and things like that, then like, you know, it was easily getting lost. And with build X, when you create the builder instance, you can specify how large do you want the, uh, uh, log file support or the log output to be before it truncates it basically. Yes. Yeah. So excellent. All righty. Well, uh, with that, we'll, like I said, we'll have a bunch of links there. Uh, definitely have links for the tip of the week. Um, and, uh, yeah, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcast apps. Uh, we, we hope that we're wherever you find them. And if we're not, let us know and, uh, we can, uh, make sure that we take care of that situation. And, uh, you know, I didn't threaten earlier and, you know, I want to be respectful and still not threaten. So, uh, I do appreciate the reviews that we had this time, but I would, I would also love more cause I'm greedy. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, so you can find some helpful links at dub, www.codingblocks.net slash review. Awesome. And hey, while you're up at codingblocks.net, you can check out our show notes. They are copious. Examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants over to Slack, which Jay-Z fixed our Slack sign-up. So you can go to codingblocks.net slash Slack and join that amazing community. Why did you fix it already? It hasn't been two years. Right? No, no. I had to schedule. Well, I fixed it in a crappy way, though. You're muted. Again, what are you doing? Uh, Protecting you from my snoring. Uh, Wow. Is that what you're trying to say about our conversation? No. This is awkward. Uh, No, I just, yeah, I muted myself. I'm a fool. Uh, So uh, I fixed it in a bad way, though, was what I was trying to say. Oh, that's fine. But is it bad way technically? I have very low-fi solution. But from a user experience, it's great. You go to the pages, the thing that says "click me," and you click it, and you're in. Oh, I like so, it. Yeah, yeah. And we've got you know links to the code of conduct, all that sorts of stuff there too. So it's not just that, but it's very prominent. Try to make it very easy because I care about uh, UX. I like it. Some some people would call me an expert. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe it's UG for I don't remember. Anyway, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodingBox. So head over to CodingBox.net and find all our social links at the top of the page. 